Welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, everybody. I'm Will, that's Blake, and this is the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. It's good to see you, my friend. Um, you too, brother. I'm excited to talk some Critical Role today, man. We had a Ooh, yes. a big ep, a great ep, and you a know, cliffhanger always, ending. Mm. Yeah, there's always part of me that gets excited when I see that runtime, and it's up to that five-hour mark. Um, you're yeah. like, ooh, what's all the... Are we in store for? Yeah, I know, right? And then also, like, I'm ready to get emotionally wrecked from this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Um, you know, in kind of unrelated news, it is uh, Wrath of the Lich King classic drop day. So I know. Uh, oh, is that today? <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, we got some excited people uh, in our in our friend group for that. Um, yeah. So gearing up, uh, but yeah, it's, it's that it's pixelous recording day. It's uh it's Monday, which, you know, isn't really the most exciting day of the week, but you know, we got, we got these other things that are making it a good day. So I'm doing good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious for our listeners, if you guys are MMO players, if you're going to play Wrath of the Lich King, or if you're like, nah, man, I'm not getting into that, into that poison. <laughs> <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited about it. Uh, obviously excited to record this episode. And then I think what we'll do, since there's no episode Thursday, maybe on Thursday we can post the winner of our yeah. giveaway. Yeah, I was going to I was going to bring that up. I should we just make like another quick video with the announcement or I mean, we'll yeah, figure yeah, something I think, out, I guess. Yeah, I think that works. So maybe on Thursday in lieu of um a new episode since there's not a critical role episode we'll post the winner of the 1000 sub giveaway and uh maybe we'll do a little prize unboxing or something i don't know if the stuff's going to be in by then i guess it wouldn't be but um <laughs> here's a clip art of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well so, yeah we'll see but yeah look forward yeah. to that on thursday i guess and if you haven't entered that already if you don't know what we're talking about uh, I guess it won't be the latest video on the channel because this will be, but check our right. like most recent, our previous video to this one, and it's our uh, giveaway. Make sure you comment on that right. video. That's all you got to do to enter, uh, as well as being a subscriber. Which, by the way, here's what I'm going to say: is I've been seeing some comments about bring back Jeremy, and I want you to know something. <laughs> I don't, I don't play with this. I'm not okay with this. <laughs> There's no room. Are they for disqualified? Other... <laughs> You're out. There's no room for another host, especially not him. Jeremy can't be trusted. Listen, he's he's filled in in a pinch, and so he's not a bro. Okay, <laughs> come on. All right, all right, you're right. He's, he's just, an opportunist. Okay, that's fair. He is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going to yeah. at some point uh, justice for Jeremy once we've <laughs> besmirched his name enough. <laughs> Oh God, I feel like that's right. going to be the new hashtag. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. What, and that's enough stalling here. Um, did we have anything else to say before jumping into the huge? Well, I think we're on the back half of rings of power. Mm. So I think it's fair to say maybe we'll have a, a season wrap up review. Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to do that. And it's not another Witcher thing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it might be. Hopefully not, but yeah. So maybe uh, once the show's completely done, we'll do a a quick, yep, pod on that. Uh, so look forward to that. Um, right. But yeah, I think that's everything. 
So let's jump into uh, the recap. And if you're new to us, we recap every episode of Critical Role for your viewing convenience. And we cut that out, host it separately on YouTube. So if you happen to find yourself on that video, thanks for checking us out. If you enjoyed the recap and are interested in listening to our full discussion of the episode, you know, theory crafting, giving our thoughts, yada, 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 that will be linked below in the description box. So check us out. Um, but without further ado, let's recap this episode, episode 35 of Critical Role. And we're actually recording this one before it has been released on YouTube. So the title is not out yet. Who knows? So um, we pick up with the party aboard the Silver Sun airship, and they are headed true Jusar. Uh, first things first, they pop open the portable hole and get Treshi out and basically begin to interrogate him. Um, he basically immediately tries to bribe them, essentially, saying, like, <laughs> hey, don't take me to Jusar. Like, let me right. go somewhere else. I will pay you. And um, Fern is curious how much, and he right. says 10,000 gold. <laughs> Um, Imogen just basically immediately decides to detect thoughts on him just to see what she can find out. And she gets this big sequence of, um, these memories that Matt describes to her seeing, uh, these handshake deals and discussions about installing the Paragon's call and Drusar, um, memories of Treshi signing, uh, ledgers and shipping approvals. Um, he doesn't seem to know anything about the Apogee solstice. Um, but he does, uh, what she does pick up on is he has this deep seated fear of the people he's been working with, like IE Odahan. Um, and he was worried that she was going to basically kill him once their dealings were complete. Um, so Imogen finishes the spell and the party then intimidates Treshi into telling them where he would run to if, if not Drusar. And he's like, well, maybe the Talent Highlands, which is where Imogen is from, uh, on Corel, or perhaps even somewhere just off continent to lay low. He then ups his offer to 13,000 gold uh, oh, uh, for his bribe. Uh, uh, the seems party, like a lot. Yeah. I mean, seems like a whole lot. <laughs> that's a lot of scratch for sure. Yeah. Uh, they're not really entertaining it, um, but it is out there. Um, so the party then is discussing what to do with Laudan's body and they ultimately decide to keep her in the portable hole after Ashton cleans it up a bit. Uh, Imogen then jumps in, kind of unwraps Laudna, places her, um, and then searches her pockets and takes out the tracking orb that tracks the ring, um, that they had gotten from Estrosh to track Treshi with, um, which if you recall, Laudna placed that on Odahan, um, a few episodes back on her, uh, equipment, right? Right. I think so. Um, so Imogen checks it to see if, you know, perhaps Odahan is close, but the the orb is dark, which aka uh the ring must be out of its functioning radius. So either Odahan's not close or perhaps she doesn't have the ring on her anymore. Um the party then asks Sandis for a place that they could keep Treshy uh while aboard the ship, and he suggests the mold storage, which is a room where they keep all the molding equipment uh <laughs> that accrues up during travel. Do you think Matt like created this on the spot or is this like a functioning? <laughs> I actually wondered that because that was pretty clever if he did. Yeah. Um, yeah. That just was wild. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, but So then the party is basically like, what should our next moves be? And they kind of discuss for a while. But of course, ultimately, they land on, well, Ladna is the priority here. We got to figure out how to fix this. 
Um, so they're like, we need to get to Estoros's, see what he's come up with. Um, Ashton again brings up the fact that they could ask Gianna for her help, and Imogen wants to contact Delilah again. Warren brings up the fact that, hey, like Delilah's dead. So like, what do you mean you talk to her? And Orm kind of fills the party in on uh, what Delilah did beneath Whitestone right. Castle all these years ago. And Orm actually says, hey, maybe taking Laudna to Whitestone may be the key here. Like maybe since that's where this all began, maybe for some reason that's that could help in trying to get her back here. Um, How many years has it been, by the way? Uh, it's been, I think it was 30 years between campaign one and two. And it's maybe been like, 10 or so so maybe like 40 ish years um interesting so they basically decide that for the next four days on this travel they're just going to protect the ship keep an eye on armand and send a bunch of messages out to try to figure out how to help ladna so the first message sent is to keyleth the voice of the tempest orm's boss um they ask her for her help and she responds and says that hey i have business in vasselheim but we can meet shortly pick a tree um FCG then messages Gianna Hexum, uh, but is told to be like very careful about what they let her know, since we know her to be involved in these trashy Odahan dealings. So like, hey, just talk about the fact that we need help with the resurrection and don't give any context. So FCG asks and um, uh, Gianna's like, well, you know, that goes against the laws of fate and is extremely difficult, but maybe um, and FCG sends another message and like, well, what would it cost? Like, what would you want from us in return? And she responds that she has a few ideas, but they can discuss it over tea. Um, the group then has a long rest. Uh, but over that long rest, Chetney is just looking at the moon and he hears a howl. He doesn't know where it's coming from, but then he quickly realizes it's himself. Like he is inadvertently howling and fur starts to like sprout up from his fingers and it's just instinctual and beyond his control but he does manage to like reel himself in and stop himself. And he realizes that the Zenith is approaching. Um, So that happens. And also during basically every long rest, um, we're told that FCG is casting shared dream on Imogen, a spell that Sam, I believe created with Matt um, in order to be there with her. If she were to have any rudish dreams on this journey. Um, So he's casting that every night. Uh, but we're never told that a dream happens. Uh, the next day of travel, there is a massive storm that approaches the silver sun. And it's with, with it comes a bunch of turbulence. So the crew has to prepare, the party has to prepare, but it's coming too fast. So Xandis is like, hey, everyone hold on or get below deck. Um, and so this encounter, basically Matt calls or, hey, everyone, explain to me what you're doing to try to help in this situation. Uh, we either need four successes. Uh, we need four successes before two failures happen. Um, so in the essence of being brief here, Chetney, FCG, and Imogen are able all to successfully contribute. But Ashton and Fern, unfortunately, fail their checks. So the ship is rocked with wave after wave of this turbulent wind. And the mast actually like breaks off with the sail goes flying the ship begins to like spin uncontrollably and everyone in bell's hells except for ashton flies off the ship and plummets to the ground taking some real some real bad roles in this episode by the way just getting it it out there (laughs) it, it was brutal um so they all take a bunch of bludgeoning damage from falling from such great height uh but ashton and the rest of the crew make it through the storm and once they do turn around to come find the others um 
the ones that fell uh, basically are trying to group back up on the ground. Um, but Fern notices all of a sudden that like the sand around her is rising up and she is sinking. And all of a sudden these pincers are coming out of the ground beneath her. So she mirthful leaps out of this like sand pit essentially and tries to warn everyone else that, hey, be careful. We got something going on here. Uh, meanwhile, FCG has made his way toward Fern and she's like, hey, hey, wait. And all of a sudden the ground beneath both of them now starts to cave in again. Um, Imogen rushes over, casts Misty Step, and then casts Fly on herself and FCG so that they can both fly up out of there. Meanwhile, Orem is sprinting over and does dope Orem shit, which he swaps positions with Fern and then kicks her up like the sandbank to safety. Uh, and then with his shield is pressing it down um, between the pincers of the creature so that uh, it's not eating him. Um, <clears throat> Imogen, who has fly, obviously goes and grabs Orm, gets him to safety, but the shield is stuck. And Orm is like, no, 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 we can't leave that shield. It's like, you know, very special to me. So um, Fern actually uses her stonkey's ring to telekinetically get it free. And FCG in the meantime has flown over to where Chetney was and is picking him up. So everyone ultimately makes it back safely into the Silver Sun and, you know, they make their way aboard. Um, Chetney gets to work with the other crew in order to make repairs to the ship. And ultimately, they are back on course to Drusar. And that's where we take the break for the first half. Was it like Imogen or Fern? Someone had like three hit points, like from yeah. the fall. <laughs> and they're like, it was Ooh. close. There was some PTSD. They're like, not again. <laughs> Yeah, well, so coming back from the break, um, the party docks at Drusar. Um, they immediately notice another airship. I think that was called the Herald's Breath that was also docked there, um, which I think was interesting that that detail. There's another ship. We'll see if just a random detail or if that comes up later. Xandis yeah. um, is kind of like, all right, bye. <laughs> and Jenny does offer, though, <laughs> hey, if you need any more revisions, uh, just let me know. I'd be happy to come back. Uh, the party decides, okay, where's the first place we need to go? We need to go see Esteros. So they go to Esteros Manor. Windows are boarded up. It's quiet. It's dark. The door ominously kind of opens on its own. And they're kind of wondering, is Anahan already here? In fact, Imogen looks at the ring. It's dark. Um, I'm really hoping we're not coming up to a point where she looks at it. And she's like, oh, it's dark. And then Anahan, you know, appears or something. Yeah. <laughs> Kills everybody. But it's around this time that Orum, with his amazing, it's part of the reason why he wanted the shield, with his amazing perception, sees a figure in the window, like peering down, like kind of like the little slits in the window. And Imogen um, casts sending to Esteros and is like, hey, we're here. And he's basically like, I, di I didn't know who it was. I didn't know who was here. Welcomes, welcomes them in in true Esteros fashion is going to disarm a bunch of traps um, you know pull things from cabinets where you can hear him like disabling traps I mean it's all like <laughs> overly jacked <laughs> with traps and uh, they begin to talk about what their next moves are and so um, naturally Esteros sort of um, gives his uh, regards for Ladna uh, they ask about like what can we do and um Estros is like well there is um and i'm i'm blanking on her name by the way but basically the sort of like the patron of the trees like the person kind of it's almost mm. like a grove or like an orc orchard like yeah, within yeah. your star 
um, and basically says, you can go talk to her. She might know an answer. Now, they're also looking for a tree because it's around this time that they reach back out to the voice of the Tempest and who says, I've, I've been delayed. It's going to be a bit longer. Uh, Keyleth being in Vasselheim still. Um, and Estros also mentions, hey, if you need, you can also go meet Mr. Shashadri, um, who is the person they had met at the ball. Also the person who had employed the Green Seekers. I think that's right. Right, Will? I think so, yeah. So um, basically says you can go talk to her um, in the core spire and um, hand over Armand Treshi. Um, they also show the potions of, which I'm sh- the potions of possibility, um, almost called them the potions of Dunamancy, um, <laughs> and the residuum. And he, even in talking about the Cerberus Assembly, he is sharing in their tension of all of this stuff in play. Kind of like, yeah, this this is obviously not good that all of these things are happening. But does hand over a job well done um, reward. I think it's around seven or eight thousand gold. He Matt describes a box that is so laced with platinum. That it's kind of like spilling out as you open it, and Matt kind of estimates, yeah, it's around seven or eight k gold. Uh, excuse me. Um, they decide first things first. Let's hand off Armand. They go to meet up with Mister Shishadri. Um, she comes out in an evening gown with some guards, and they open up the hole and show Armand. And there's sort of like this. Um, I think Matt describes Armand as pretty down, downfall, downtrodden and, you know, crestfallen, like, hey, <laughs> she's like, hello, Armand. Um, the guards take him away and she's like, job well done. My other, my other bounty hunters weren't, uh, they're pretty disappointing. And it's implied that one of those is Artana Vo. We don't know who the other one is, which I thought was an interesting detail. Yeah. Uh, but she's like, all right, let's get you your reward two guards come back out with this massive chest. Uh, and I think it was like 12 or 13,000 gold, like something yeah. crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, so in total, they've gotten almost 20,000 gold yeah. from coming back on this quest. Um, so they have a ton of gold. Now they also tell her like, Hey, you need to know about what's happening with all this stuff. Um, Shishadri does mention that Armand, through this whole like scheme to get the Paragon's call involved, had brought Adahan to speak to the Shande Quorum on more than one occasion, which if you've forgotten, the Shande Quorum is like the ruling body of elites uh, of Drusar. Yep. But that Adahan had come and spoken to them a couple of times. We don't really know the context. Uh, and they talk about the Cerberus Assembly, which oddly enough, she is she's a bit distrusting at this information. She's kind of like... Uh, do you have any kind of proof this is a massive accusation and they're like like look this was the symbol we saw like it's so obvious and she's like <laughs> mm, i don't know if i'm buying that uh, almost kind of frustratingly so but fgg is very polite and he's like well just just take it under just just remember it okay you don't have to do anything with it but just please just think about it um they do continue to try to ask her a bunch of questions and uh, she eventually just leaves. It's it's kind of <laughs> like, all right, I'm, I think I'm done with you guys. So, um, so that happens. Um, they leave, and then they also decide, as they're wrapping up for the evening, to go back into Ashton's mind and try to piece together what really happened that night he got his injury. And this is important because they know that Gianna Hexum is a key figure in this trade route of these 
illicit materials. Right. And they think, and they know, and Ashley know he knows he saw a crate in her office. And so they're like, okay, FCG and Imogen are like, let's do this thing. So they cast detect thoughts and it's kind of like, just let us know when his nose starts bleeding. The party's kind of like watching. Um, the next several minutes are crazy. Um, <laughs> they're, they get a similar dream of what they saw before, which was him in the room, an explosion happening, him falling back from the balcony, darkness, um, Milo working on him, grabbing this potion of, maybe it's potion of possibility, but a potion of dunamancy, it seems like, and you know, pouring it into his brain injury. Uh, this is all stuff we had heard before. Right. But there's some very interesting information that happens after that. Imogen and FCG are split in his mind in different places. There's a lot of rolling that happens that everyone just fails endlessly. <laughs> Imogen sees Ashton, sees him as a politician, sees him as a human, sees like it's it's almost the best way I can describe it. It's like experiencing the multiverse of critical role, like sees all these versions of Ashton true and, and truly Ashton, but like different versions, like different possibilities of who he could have become. Um, and Ashton's nose is gushing blood. Uh, <laughs> the party's kind of like, um, okay, this <laughs> it's looking kind of serious. Stop. FCG, um, and also going deeper realizes that he's like almost in the body of Ashton, like looks at his hands, sees Ashton's hands and finds themselves in like this kind of stasis crystal within Ashton's mind and is basically trapped in Ashton's mind. Uh, and as Ashton continues to bleed, FCG's calling out, uh, Imogen, I'm stuck here. And they, again, they have another couple of roles to kind of like get out. They fail. And so it's kind of <laughs> like, we're screwed. We're stuck in Ashton's mind. Fern actually looks at the injury on his head that's like whirring with energy and actually sees two tiny dark figures which yeah. was mind-boggling um and it's kind of like do you guys see this all this to say imogen finally casts command and says wake up to ashton he fails this is the second time they've actually done this he succeeded the first time he fails this time the stasis glass shatters um and they wake up and immediately um uh ash ashton's kind of like you know, would you find anything? And Imogen's like, yeah, like I saw like every version of you. It was crazy. It was wild. But there was a really cool detail. And that was FCG and talking with Ashton was like, hey, when I was you, I felt pain. Like I felt this pain all over me. And he's like, yeah, it's every day for me. And then Ashton reveals that they feel pain all the time, just chronic pain. Um, just kind of sad. It's kind of a bummer. Um, yeah. Also, uh, the party then decides, let's go make our way to this orchard in Drasar. Um, the voice of the Tempest, they're talking to the voice of the Tempest, Keyleth, who's kind of like, where are you guys exactly? And they're like, we're in Drasar. And then a once they get there, they meet this person, this sort of this patron of the the Grove. Uh, Manaya Ture is her name. Thank you. Manaya yep. Ture. And they're immediately like, hey, actually, we're good. We don't need you. <laughs> <laughs> Portal opens. Keyleth is there. Um and they're like, there's kind of this funny moment of like, yeah, we're kind of adventurers. Like, this is kind of what we do, like, as if Keyleth wouldn't know. And um, Keyleth's like, all right, well, let's let's get your friend helped. Let's get you someone who can help you. 
and they follow into this portal into seemingly the city of Whitestone. And that is what happened on episode 35 of campaign three of Critical Role. (laughs) So if you're just watching our recap, uh, click the link below to get the full reaction. We want to know what your reactions are. Will, bro, dude, this campaign in the last few episodes has gotten insane. Yeah. Like, did you ever envision them being in Whitestone? I kind of just envisioned like a... This is the Marquette. This is, you know, we had Wild Mound. We had Taldore. This is the Marquette story. Um, yeah. No. So yeah. I, I didn't know. because, you know, the only precedent is campaign two where they didn't connect to anything from campaign one. Um, who knows what's going on? Like anything could happen in campaign three. I mean, obviously, Orem has this direct connection. So once we found that out, it started getting a little more plausible. But no, like. I definitely, when we walked into this campaign, did not see meeting potentially several members of Vox Machina. Um, And bro, that, I don't know how it hit for you having not fully watched campaign one, but that moment, like it would hit different at the end there. (laughs) Like, and I'm sure I can only imagine what the cast at the table felt like, Um, but it was just so crazy to see Keyleth again, man. Yeah, having not experienced campaign one, but having watched, you know, probably 10 or 15 episodes and then having watched Legend Legend of Vox Machina, um, it was special. There's there's always like a, I think there's the right way and wrong way to do nostalgia. The wrong way I would do probably any Blizzard IP. Um, <laughs> it's the butcher again. You know, it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, I have to fight this guy again. Um, you know, I I don't know. There was kind of a excitement and giddiness i think also because it's been so many years i would assume you know for people who since campaign one but yeah yeah i don't know for me it was since having not experienced it originally it was the nostalgia was kind of like there was sort of a sweetness around like this is this was all really special for the cast members and i'm kind of getting to watch them yeah there's like a specialness of watching them experience that specialness yeah for sure that's 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 it and uh yeah it was just an awesome moment like you know, I I have never been in a you know a D and D group that has you know sustained itself through multiple multi year campaigns, but I can still imagine how cool it would be if like you know you had people that you'd been playing with for ten years and your first ever characters, you know, you close the book on them, and you know intentionally you kind of wanted to have your own new stories now. So for the next several years, they never really interacted, but now here we are, like five years later, and you're getting to see like kind of the i don't know just like that that character's still there and is like a big player in this world and you know it's just it would just be so cool to like have that moment so it was it was definitely special there's a cool sentimental effect to it yeah there's it's it's those characters i'm sure are so special for them it's back when critical role was part of geek and sundry you know and so just it's kind of like this is what made us and so i'm sure there is that sort of sweetness of like oh man like I wonder what Matt's done with our characters um, or what, what, how he's going to, it's kind of like when Gilmore came back in EXU um, and like sort of the giddiness around that as well. Yeah. Um, so, oh man, and I, uh, remind me by the way, um, after this conversation point, I forgot to mention something in the recap that was like a major detail. <laughs> so I need, I need to hit that at some point um, okay. on just Will and Will and Derek and resurrecting. Mm. Um but yeah, yeah. Help me. Who who is in Whitestone? By the way, 
Okay. So presumably in white. Stuff. Right. Um, and obviously, I mean, obviously the, the campaign three is, is going here. So, but I still want to give kind of a slight spoiler warning, uh, regarding campaign one. Uh, like if you're just somebody that's trying to avoid any and everything, then back out, I guess. Um, yeah. but I guess you'd have to stop watching campaign three if that was the case. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I still wanted to give the warning, uh, in Whitestone, um, for those of you that watched campaign one or at least watched legend of Vox Machina, you know, that's where Percy is from, uh, Taliesin's character from campaign right. one. Uh, he's basically the royalty of Whitestone. Um, so he is there and his wife, um, spoilers, uh, Vexalia, who is Laura Bailey's character from oh, I thought they were one. just friends. <laughs> uh, I swear they're just friends, man. It's so, a diplomatic marriage, man. That's right, all it is. Right. We <laughs> should keep this a theme. Just anytime there's a relationship. <laughs> no, no, man, it's not. You, it's you're not missing it. it. You're missing it. Uh, <laughs> so they are both obviously there, which I mean, they might not oh. be there for whatever reason. They're both very powerful, influential people. Like they could be out of Whitestone for some reason. Um, but they live there, so presumably they're there. Um, and at least one other Vox Machina character is known to live there currently, which is Pike, which is Ashley's campaign one character. Um, now, this is slight spoilers for Taldoy Reborn. Tell. Sorry, go ahead. No, would you have a question? I was Pike. Pike is a cleric. I mean, it seems right. like... I, so I think that's why Keyleth is taking them there, more so than... Because, I mean, oh, Percy yeah. and Vex, right. okay. uh, you know, are the Whitestone is where all this happened with Ladna, obviously, in the past. And obviously, Percy is probably the person that would be most interested in finding out about Ladna's connections to Delilah and all of that. Uh, so all that context is there. But I think Pike is the reason Keel is taking them there, because Pike is a. I mean, I don't know how like experience deterioration might work in Matt's world. If like and people get older, do they potentially get weaker? Or maybe they just maybe Pike's <laughs> just gotten stronger in the last forty years, but she's jacked. <laughs> but last <laughs> small bodybuilder <laughs> character <laughs> working out with Grog. I mean, might be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but last we saw Pike in canon, like in a canon episode, was a one shot, and she was level twenty. <laughs> so the level twenty cleric we're talking about would definitely have access to basically all of the resurrections potentially. Um, Anyway, so I think that's why they're going to Whitestone. But yes, yeah, slight spo- I mean, I guess it's not even relevant for me to say this, so maybe I shouldn't even give the spoilers. But Pike is in Whitestone. I know some people might be confused by that. Um Okay. But I I just I'm going to leave it there just cuz there's not there's not really any reason to give that spoiler. Um Is it spoiler to ask where the other people are? Probably. Um It could be. I I also okay. don't know if I mean, I know we're some of them are, but uh, for now, I just want to stay within the realms that yeah. Campaign 3 is staying in. So those are the three sense. major players that we could see. Or we, I mean, I'm assuming we're 100% going to see Pike. Um, the Dorolos, good chance, but unsure. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay. So seems like a setup to have Pike bring... And they have the gold. I don't know if there would be a charge, but... They have the gold. They have, I mean, Whitestone is where Residuum is from, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Presumably, is there an endless supply of Residuum that they could utilize as well? Um, I mean, it's like 
you know, it's like, I don't know if mind is the correct, refined maybe is the more correct word, but it's like a resource okay. that is naturally occurring in the land around Whitestone. So like, you know, if we're talking about Percy and Vex and the Dorolos, they obviously have access to lots of it, but I don't know. It's, it's not like a thing where like every citizen of Whitestone just has an endless supply type of thing, you know? Yeah. It feels like we're heading to a conversation about Delilah. I mean, have to be. Yeah. I mean, I think metagaming, I think the characters are, would be thinking, don't, don't say Delilah, <laughs> you know, it's like the Michael Scott, like, don't ever, just don't say we're broke. And then he's like, sure. And then you know, it comes out the elevator and he's like, I'm going to say it. Like, that's kind of what I envision is like, all right, just don't mention Delilah, but they have no reason not to mention her. Um, and so I feel like I just, I don't want to get heartbroken again. I just, I'm worried about pipe being like all right let's do this thing and being like yeah and just ignore delilah wait what <laughs> you know and then like them deciding not to resurrect ladna um and then what happens you know but i don't know i'm really apprehensive about that I think, conversation i think that i don't know if like it would almost be metagamey for most of the group to want to hide that information, you know, because they i don't know if they would really know that that is something that they should hide they did have a brief discussion about Delilah right. and Whitestone in the past episode. Orem so there is some the history, right? Yeah. But yeah, Which, br bringing to Orem, I, I don't think he would hide that. I think he would. I think, you know, you he would spot say. On. Orem being the guy who would tell the teacher you didn't give us our homework. <laughs> I, I think Orem would. There's something you need to know before you do this. And everyone's kind of like, bro, really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I could totally see that happening. I mean, it kind of, he didn't say Delilah, but he kind of already laid that context bare, which is, I think is why, you know, he was explaining to Keyleth, like, this is like, this is connected to you. And it seems like Keyleth does recognize Laudna um, because she was, again, cutting back to what we know, Laudna was one of the people Delilah Briarwood hung from the sun tree to send a warning message to Vox Machina in campaign one. Laudna was um, right. made up to look like Vex. Um, so I think almost that conversation has to happen to even, not that Pike would be like, I don't know who this is. I'm not Resiner, but I think that context <laughs> is going to be brought up to be like, Hey, like we need to fix this because this person died because of us type of thing. You know, I just envision Pike as like a huge douche. Like I'm not doing that. Get out I'm of here. busy. Get out of my face. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that oh, man. I think that the, the the whole Delilah thing will be will be told in in service of just Orem wanting to fill in his <sighs> boss, but also that's like the connective tissue to why Pike feels like she'll probably need to help. So here's the question. So here's here's the outcomes that I see happening. Outcome A, they begrudgingly resurrect ladna and i think we can maybe table for a second like what would that mean would she come back as a hollow one would she come back as her true one um would maybe delilah we'll get to that in a second but so option a they're like okay yeah let's do this they resurrect her great option b they refuse and they have to go the route of gianna hexam or um uh the morgan or Oh, uh, or, or Morgan or that the Drusar person who, well, they, that, who might know someone that was that just Dr to get the tree. The, yeah. The Drusar person was just a teleport for them to get oh, okay. somewhere else they needed to go. Okay. I gotcha. 
Well, so they do have a couple of options. Yeah. Um, option C, not only do they say no, but someone they like kill Percy. the party. <laughs> <laughs> Percy says, and it's too dangerous to bring Ladna back. So we need to destroy destroy the body. The body. I mean, that would be party can't take them, right? So I mean that would be pretty gut wrenching, I think. Yeah. I don't I mean, if anybody it would be Percy, but I don't know. I don't know if I think there will definitely be kind of this conversation that happens. Now, if it happens, because like, I, again, I think we're going to see Pike, maybe Pike and the Dorolas are all together. And so all this is presented at the same time, but it may be that if we're just going to go straight to Pike first, maybe Laden is rezzed and then they go fill in Percy. Like, what's he going to do then? I don't think he's going to kill Ladna or anything, but I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting dynamic. Um, yeah, that surely it's going to be, that's surely going to happen. I don't know. I guess it's possible that no, I mean, surely I think they, there's no way they don't find this out, but well, it's a good thing. Such a massive moment. Isn't the night that the wrath of the Lich King raids release (laughs) (laughs) on that Thursday. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Oh, and when it comes back, you mean, Yes, because it drops tonight, but the raids don't come out till next Thursday. Oh, okay. So not three days from now, but like 10 days from now? Right. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. I'll see where my allegiance lies. <laughs> <laughs> to the Pixelist or Blizzard. <laughs> but, so tell me your take on the resurrection happening. Okay, yeah, I wanted I've, to talk. Because I've, I've been throwing around like thoughts of, I, so I don't ascribe to the theory that Delilah wanted Laudna to die. Um or like wanted or even like what Sam what what FCG like warded off was Delilah like taking over the body. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't ascribe to that. We talked about it last episode. I think she would have you know tried to convince Laudna to die earlier. I think but I do think that Delilah as an opportunist there is an opportunity to hijack the resurrection spell, not necessarily come back in Del- in Laudna's body, though a possibility i think but somehow like borrowing the power of the resurrection for her to make a return what's your take on this there's definitely some wild card factor with delilah plus we talked about this last episode the fact that imogen could message her what does that mean you know is that something to be read into was it more of just a hand wavy moment in the moment um but is the implication there that maybe she is alive um but what's also interesting, and we speculated about this like in episodes long ago, uh, when we first found out that Delilah was Laudna's patron, you know, I at least, I don't want to speak for you, but I was at least of the mindset that I bet La- uh, Delilah has many puppets out in the world that she- are doing her bidding. But from what we learned in the past couple episodes, it seems like, no, Laudna's the only right. one. Right. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, yeah, so I don't. I don't really know what to make of it, but that's definitely a big, a big question mark. And, you know, especially if this resurrection ritual happens in Whitestone, which a lot of history there with Delilah, like, would she jump on that opportunity? I don't think she would be strong enough as like a freshly rezzed Laudna to really do anything to Vox Machina, but who knows? Um, Like, cause maybe that, maybe she views that as like her one chance to get revenge. If like Percy's in the room, you know what I mean? Um, 
So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely, she's definitely cooking something up, right? And she did absorb that gnar rock. Not that I really think that's the linchpin in some master plan, but like she was, she is cooking up some scheme, right? And right. I just don't know, like you said, I I don't think that Laudna's death was necessarily a part of that, at least not yet. So for my money, Delilah is just like, we need to get res so that I am not gone. But not that like, this is, this is the moment, you know, like, right. So I don't know if that was a bunch of word vomit, but no, I, I, you hit it all exactly what I was thinking too. So I think you nailed it. So, um, a couple things on this one, the reminder about the recap thing that we yeah. found out that, uh, right. That Orem brought up that, Hey, yeah, we couldn't res the people that died in the attack on will like and will and, and my father-in-law. Yeah. I confirmed that Derek also died, had yeah. been killed, which we didn't know until last episode, which they couldn't yeah. be res. And I actually loved that. The, I mean, I didn't love that they're dead and couldn't be rezzed, but I love that this was brought up because <laughs> I don't know if I actually brought this up in any of our episodes, but it has been something I've been thinking about, um, which is, you know, if Orem's going to go to this trouble to grit Keyleth to res Laudna, wouldn't he have done that for his family? You know, like, so why didn't Keyleth res them? And we also had this discussion with if the Loomis twins were so wealthy and influential, why weren't they able to get reses? Right. Now we have the answer to this is, um, they couldn't people tried and it didn't work. So I really liked that in terms of like neat storytelling that, um, that we were given this explanation. Yeah. I, or sorry, go ahead. No, uh, I just was going to sequence that into kind of the possibilities we have for Laudna getting res. But if you wanted to like talk more about the fact oh, that no, I people think, couldn't well, be res. Maybe Ness posted it, um, in our, yeah, it was in the discord about, um, you know, the poison having some kind of like permanent effects. Um, but I actually almost wonder if it's almost kind of like a Loki-esque detail of like the Autohan who is powered seemingly by Dunamancy because um, the liquid is in like her jetpack thing. Right. I almost wonder if it's like when you kill someone with that weapon, when it's like soaked in it or whatever, um, that you're sort of cleaving not the timeline but like cleaving the, the possibility the possibility of that version of that person and so there's no there's no backsies on it it's like that person that that event that we had a tipping point that that timeline is gone that person no longer exists they're done um so that's kind of where my mind goes but i i have no idea but like ness pointed out it didn't seem like Adahan that her weapon was envenomed. Um, so it might be unrelated to Ladna, but who knows? Yeah, that's the interesting thing. Cause it also, we don't know that Adahan specifically was the one that attacked Keyleth and the Arashari. Cause Orm just remembers they were all like completely messed up. So it could have been or- uh, Odahan, but it also could have just been somebody else that has this, you know, shadow well, clone ability. Isn't it in- isn't it implied to have been her when she looks down at Orm and says, we've met before. True. Yeah. So that's true. I forgot about that. So yeah, I guess then it was her. Um, so yeah, I mean, is it some sort of 
venom, for lack of a better word? Is it some dunamancy that is preventing people from being rezzed? Uh, if it is, then there's at least a decent chance that the same is true of Laudna, you know, unless it is something that needs to be like prepared. And since, you know, Odahan didn't necessarily know she was going to get into this encounter with the party, maybe her weapons weren't ready. It is, it is a nice detail, though, of finding a way to break away from the cheese of like just bringing. And I know Matt, Matt's. You know, that's why he's implemented like the rolling with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't like you just cast it and it works. But it it is nice that because otherwise, like the I think the the loose end is death doesn't have any kind of sting to it. If everyone, like you said, the Loomis twins, endless resources. Oh, we'll just bring people back again and again and again. Um, so it does add some nice weightiness to it, I think. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean. So obviously the possibility exists that the same is true of Ladna and nothing's going to work. But just to quickly run through, you know, if it if we are in fact visiting Pike, which I brought up a minute ago. Last we saw her, she was a level 20 cleric. So is she still has she maybe regressed a little bit, but assuming she is still a level 20 cleric, cleric, excuse me. Uh she's got access to four resurrection spells. Um revivify, which is what the party has and obviously, you know, it's it's too late for that because it has to be within the first minute. Uh, so not that one. We have Raise Dead, which is a fifth level spell and has a 10-day window. So because of the general repose, that one is still on the table. Uh, but then we have Resurrection and True Resurrection, which is a seventh level spell and a ninth level spell. So like the most powerful spells in the game. Uh, and those have like 100 years and 200 years as the limit on when they can be cast. Um, and our ultra powerful spells so again if she is a level 20 cleric she has access to those but you know i don't really know if i don't really know if her casting that would make sense but if she casts like true resurrection for example she could give ladna a brand new body so like it could be possible that like ladna was brought back to like true life you know and not this like hollow one undead form she's in but for my money the most likely scenario would be that raise dead spell the the one a step above revivify but not the crazy high level resurrections but what's interesting about that is <clears throat> the creature's soul must be willing and at liberty to rejoin the body which we know that hollow ones don't have a soul which so i don't know if that's just like semantics and wouldn't really matter in this case but it is at at, at least something worth kind of thinking about I- I hope it's just semantics because there was something similar with like Faye when Faye die, like their body leaves like the mortal plane and like literally like disintegrates or something. I don't know if it's actually five E or if it's something else. Um, obviously not functionally doesn't make sense, but yeah, I hope it's, I hope that's sort of like a hand wave in the sense of otherwise it's going to be like the whole, like, you know, we were at the dog park and someone's like, you know, your dog doesn't have a soul, right? <laughs> you're like, what is wrong with what? you? <laughs> so anyway, I, yeah, I, I hope that doesn't end up happening where it's like, there's no soul and that'll be 25,000 gold. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Thank you. Like, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it also specifies that it can't return an undead creature to life. So I don't know where Laudna lands on that spectrum, but that's. But see, that's that's what I think FCG was warding off. 
in that, and I think even the, mentioned it in the session, the general that pose, her her body would become undead or like the opportunity for undeath. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the connection of what's being warded off. And so I, I don't think that's an issue. The soul thing is interesting to me. Um, and also just the, I'm really curious the mechanics of, will she get a new body? Will she come back as a hollow one? Like what's all going to happen there? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, I don't think she'll get a new body unless one of those, that high level spell is used, but right. Yeah. It is really interesting how to factor in the hollow one aspect of all of this. Um, but yeah, so just wanted to click you run through what the options might be. Um, if indeed Pike is the one that they're going to see. So obviously powerful enough cleric to, to make something happen here. It's just a matter of yeah, if she's willing to, and if it would work. Yeah. Um, coming towards the back half of our episode, I know there's two things that I want to talk about. One is, Armand and Mr. Shishadri, and the other one's Ashton. Um, you want to jump into either one of those? Yeah. Um, dealer's choice. Well, let's let's talk Ashton, I guess, since we're talking about like possibilities and dunamancy and stuff. Yeah. Um, very multiverse-esque. Matt has uh, above the board has talked about wanting to explore um not specifically a multiverse but like different times of exandria different possibilities um i think maybe travis or someone else talked about like the brand of critical role um and expanding it beyond like the campaigns this feels it felt like that to me not in a forced way but just like there are other possibilities and sort of like a subtle touch of other timelines um even weirdness there though where he was human in one of those versions which we know his father was elvin we know he himself mentioned he hasn't always been a genasi so i'm curious how much was possibility and how much of it was sort of a nod to an undamaged not corrupted but unaltered version of ashton um i don't know what was your take on all that yeah so two things I want to hit here. Don't let me forget. But to answer that immediate question. Yeah, I think that. I, I don't know if humans necessarily the right word since we know his father to be Elvin. Uh, we don't know what his mom is technically. So maybe she was human. Right. But I think Ashton, whatever he was pre. Like he was born. Something. Yeah. Something that's not what he is yeah. now. Right. And I think so that those things we were seeing, like you said, were just different possibilities that his life could have gone. So some of those led to Ashton never getting injured, never turning into a Genasi for whatever reason. So I think those were just snippets of like that potential timeline, right? Um, but what's interesting is that we know that his parents and that cult were performing some ritual and then it hit the fan. And then we also know he had this tragic accident at Gianna's. Right. Um, I, I could be wrong. We might know more of the timeline that I'm remembering here, but do we know if he was Genasi at the time of the Gianna heist? I think so. And the only alteration is like the, glass um look into his mm-hmm. you know brain so to speak um 
That's a great question, though. I, I think the implication I got was that he became Genasi earlier. I'm on the uh, same page there, but yeah, I wasn't okay. sure on that. But so if so, then maybe this ritual his parents did is what transformed him. Like, yeah, whether that was kind of, the intent yeah. of the ritual or not, I don't know. But right. we do know that this Hashari cult is taught as a cautionary tale to the Ashari which are the people that like guard the boundaries between the elemental planes and Exandria. So why would yeah. this, why would this be taught to them unless it had something to do with like elemental energies? So maybe it was oh, like man. the plane yeah. of earth that they were messing with. And so Ashton became earth Genasi esque as a result of it. I love that detail. I never, I didn't put that together. I kind of just thought Orem was just like the sage who seems to know everything. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really awesome detail. I love that theory. And obviously, Ashton had this tra traumatic accident at Gianna's where the potion was poured in his head, and you know he's got like the gold flecked heels on, heels on his body. So, is the pain, the chronic pain, which is so like such a sad thing to find out about him? I want to talk more about that too. But is that because of the Gianna accident, or is that because of this Genasi transformation? You know? Yeah i I don't know, but I, I do want to talk about Ashton though. Yeah, but finding that out, it, it made so many things. It like explained his character so much, you know, um, and just the fact that he's never revealed that, you know, he's always just yeah endured that pain and not put it on any of his friends, even his best friend, the healer, you know, not even to see if like there's something you can do about this. It's just it's just it's just sad that he's like carrying that, you know, Talison plays Ashton so well, because I think in inexperienced hands he becomes not an edgelord but just like obnoxious obnoxiously angry he has such an awesome complexity of like a brawniness with like a softness and a relatability i i, I don't know i it's so funny to me how every time a character gets like a stage i'm like okay that's my favorite character <laughs> you know like that's how i feel like when Towson was talking about his character i was like dude, Ashton is freaking awesome. And that you <laughs> yeah. go back and you feel like there's such an intentionality behind like, um, like I saw a Reddit post I was talking uh, and it's so vague because it was like, I clicked on it, I read it for a second then I moved on, but it was something about like his facial reactions, like the way he always seems kind of tired or like on the brink of being annoyed, mm -hmm. uh, which is such subtle nuance. Oh yeah. And then you realize, oh, he's he's in pain. Like he is... Um, and we talked a little bit early on in the campaign about the possibility for a traumatic brain injury and like, okay, how did, how would, how could, could Talison be playing that angle a little bit? Seems like he is, but just beyond that, the chronic pain piece, I just, so much intentionality in his character that you just have to admire. Yeah. And what a, like, what an awesome kind of organic moment for that reveal. Cause obviously that wasn't planned between Sam and Talison. Like Matt just said, Hey, you're in. Ashton's body and so Sam's like what does it feel like and he's like it, it hurts that was just like <laughs> that was just so cool and just a cool aspect of like the robot having a human body for the first time and instead of feeling yeah. amazing it's it sucks yeah. yeah um yeah I man it it feels like there's so many things happening but I really appreciate that we were able to get some details of Ashton's backstory without it feeling like a distraction if that makes sense yeah um, and i think it's because 
the detail of her knowing him of of, of them knowing Gianna Hexum, which makes this stuff make sense to talk about. But mm-hmm. I, it's just in general a nod to Matt of like the storyteller. It's nice that it's not like oh here's another thread to pull on. It's like no, there's there's like a sense of cohesion with all of it that makes it feel nice to kind of indulge to kind of like hit pause on the story and indulge in this dream sequence, so to speak. Yeah. And shout out to Matt for like transforming detect thoughts into this whole experience. Like bravo, Mr. DM, like what a, (laughs) what a basic spell that he turned into like this multiversal psychedelic, you know, really cool moment. Um, and you know, there's probably a great insight there for, um, just DMS everywhere of like, recognizing what your players are trying to do and i'm not even called bending the rules i'd say just like indulging in the story the role play their desires um because i do think too often you have the rules lowering and and that's not what detect thoughts does (laughs) and you're like (laughs) dude please so i i just appreciate and this is it's a bit silly even to say out loud because of how much homebrewing happens in critical role um, campaigns, but you know, a shout out to Matt as a great DM, recognizing the opportunity to create a cool moment rather than being like, Oh, that's not how it works. That's the extent of what you do. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And it's, it's cool to have, uh, just this binding moment of, um, between, um, fresh cut grass and Imogen, how they kind of team up together to do these mind melds. And it's like becoming more and more of a thing. You know, kind of diving in, investigating mysteries, you know, almost as if they're a detective agency. Maybe not the best detective agency, but a detective agency. I don't get that. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But one thing before I forget is on... Because they wanted to be green seekers earlier? Uh, Maybe. Maybe this might be something from campaign two. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, But so... The, the multiverse thing I wanted to touch on really quick, I can maybe shine a little bit more context on that. You know, Imogen yeah. saw space, you know, Matt describes, and then that's when all these flashes happened. So in campaign two, and we've talked about this, the the Luxon and Dunamancy and these beacons, which are like these very like holy artifacts um, to uh, the Korean dynasty. Um, slight campaign two spoilers. We, we have touched on this in the past, but there's your warning. Uh, the beacons and you what they do and we've talked about consecution and how like they store souls and then people are reborn um i guess you it, just had to be there to really appreciate it because every time <laughs> you tell this i'm like this is the weirdest thing yeah so your soul it's such a vision like the meme of like the girl yelling in the guy's ear so then no the soul goes <laughs> into the beacon and then it marinades it's like okay cool Anyway, keep got sorry. To well, so, on no, ahead. you're fine. So the beacons that they showed up in campaign two at, at various points. And if you, if you had one of these, you could use it, you could look into it. And what you saw was space, like just like Imogen saw inside Ashton's brain. Interesting. And functionally, mechanically, what you did, if you did this was you basically got a moat of possibility, which is functionally the same thing as what a potion of possibility does. It basically gives you a reroll. Um, so the fact that Matt used that same imagery to describe Ashton's brain, and we know a potion of possibility to be like what was poured into him to save him, really makes me wonder. Like, could just be a nod to the flavor of the fact that that's what 
healed slash saved Ashton. But I wonder if there's any chance that like he is a beacon. Like similarly to like the actual beacons. Um because clearly huh. his as Imogen saw all the different possibilities of his his life, like that that magic, that power, for lack of a better word, exists within him. Um but so does it to the full extent of a yeah. normal beacon? Like could souls potentially be getting stored in Ashton for consecution? So if the moat if you get a moat, does it imply that the Paragon's call is abusing these devices? Has these devices? I mean, if you gather ten moats, do you get a potion? Like I mean it, like they have a lot of this stuff, so it, it it does beg the question of where are they getting these potions of possibility? Are they producing them? And therefore, do they have a beacon? Or are they just getting the potions from someone else? Who um, who, who keeps the beacons? Does, well, so they are like, like a- very holy religious artifacts um, to the the uh, Kryn dynasty. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, or um, Jorhassian, I believe. Okay. Anyway, that's in Wildmount. Yes. Um, And that's where the Cerberus Assembly is. Yes. Yes. So speaking (laughs) of, I think we know the Cerberus Assembly is involved here. Um, There are basically two sides of this war. We've got like the human side of things, the Cerberus Assembly and the the Empire. And then we have the Kryn Dynasty. Um, And they're the ones who treat this as like holy and, you know, the beacons and stuff are very important to them. Um, so this war was kind of the backdrop of campaign two. Anyway, the Cerberus assembly, we know at least at some points to have had beacons in the past. So since we know Ludinus Deleth is involved in all this, I feel like perhaps he is the source of these potions of possibility that Odahan is utilizing, but it is possible that the Paragons call themselves are the ones producing it. But yeah. Okay. That seems that seems like that has to be the answer. I mean, we we did it. Pixeless, we solved it. We got it. But <laughs> question is for what purpose? Right. Feels, they got- it feels a little superficial to just be like, we're creating super soldiers. You know? It feels like there's more to it than just using it. But I, I do wonder where we're going with this. Yeah, because we got that, the residuum. The broomstone that may or may not be tied specifically to the Paragon's call, but yeah, a so lot residuum, of residuum, maybe stockpiling residuum for some massive spell, huge, massive, yeah, ancient during spell. the apogee solstice, the dunamantic liquid somehow being involved in it, maybe maybe rewriting what's been done into something else, such as reversing whatever the rudest. Yeah. Prison thing, yeah, yeah, and so maybe maybe the residuum is the the power to do that. The potion is the actual main component of the spell, and the broomstone, who knows? I mean, brings it back to earth. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the reverse broomstone. So I don't know. And then the it seems like gnarl stones are popping up as story points, not necessarily in the control of the paragon's call, but seem to have some kind of involvement in some way also. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the, maybe that's part of whatever the nightmare Kings got up his sleeve since it keeps kind of showing up around him. Yeah. Which um, I think 
the shade mother got mentioned. Maybe this was last episode, but shade mother got mentioned and our mom was like, no, that was the nightmare King. Yeah. I just, we keep talking about this, how, you know, throwing blame at one another, but yep. And one other quick note I wanted to mention, but forgot is that whatever the Paragon's call is doing, they've been doing for years because Armand has been doing the shipping thing for years. Um, so they've been doing it for years, but also it's about to be done because like in the deep, in the, uh, detect thoughts Imogen saw like the conversations about like the last shipment and how he worried that once this was done he was going to be killed so it's just I very love, yeah, yeah I love that detail by the way of him and we talked about why is the Paragon's call keeping him and we threw out like this doesn't feel like we just we so love Armand and we want to protect Armand right um so yeah, I loved that detail of him fearing this might be his resting place in the seat of disdain. Um, and also the detail of two details, the memory, there was like a memory of him asking Adahan like one too many questions and like her cutting gaze, him feeling like, like fearful of her, but mm-hmm. also the other detail of just the deep rooted fear of the people above him. Um, yeah. Which I felt that epicness a bit of like, bro, we are heading to something. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it, it checks out since we know this Apogee Solstice to be coming very soon. So it checks out that whatever the Paragon's Call is planning is almost done. But it's just, you know, interesting to think that it's just another nod to the fact that shit's about to pop off, seemingly. Speaking of, is it, I mean, we can assume Armand is dead, right? Like, um, I don't think so necessarily. Cause I, you don't think so? I think he's going to be like, I mean, maybe, maybe that's what ultimately Knowing the happens. Corruption in Drasar and like the size of the hit probably on him. I think he's, I think he's doomed. Just like they're going to execute Instead him. Of, well, I don't think, I don't think, um, execution is like maybe not the right. I don't think it's going to be like a formal execution. I think, I think. Oh, you think like somebody's going to come assassinate him? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay, yeah. I thought you were saying that, like, since they handed him over to Sasadri and the powers that be, that those people were now going to kill him. No, I just, knowing the corruption in Drasar, I, I think that he is going to be assassinated. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. Odahan's definitely got a target on his back at least, right? So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess I, I, I agree little, with you there. I felt kind of bad for him a little bit. And the part of his life. I did too. You're, you're screwed. So, yeah. <laughs> I did too. He was like, just don't take me back. And they're like, we're not doing that. You're 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 done. Because <laughs> he was a very like not sympathetic character, but like he kind of had remorse and like he feared for his life and he was just in it to kind of raise his own political status, which, you know, not that that's a noble thing to be doing, but you know, it he wasn't like it wasn't more sinister than that for him. So it almost like yeah. as he got like caught with the wrong crowd almost, but so I did kind of feel bad for him as well. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I wonder what's going to happen there, and even with Lord Esteros. I mean, I know. We, we've been calling it since episode like eight. That I'm I'm too attached doomed. now. <laughs> you I can't know. go. I mean, those traps. I would love to. Like, I don't know if we would be present. Like, the party would be present for that encounter, but it would be cool to like the next time they visit him. If the whole place was just like in shambles because somebody did come and all these traps went off, and hopefully too- he lived. It'd be too Chekhov's gun esque if for these traps not to go off at some point. For, yeah, for us to not yeah. ever like I don't know, like maybe it's like X Men Two, where like where the 
mansion gets raided. You know, I feel like something yeah. like that is going to happen. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like the party's gonna like the storyline's all in my head is they do successfully resurrect Ladna mm-hmm. and they're like, great, let's get back to Drusar. And they go back and like it's like the Troy Baker uh, not Troy Baker, Troy uh, uh from Community yeah, College, yeah. like coming in with like the pizzas and like <laughs> everything's in ruin. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, what happened? Yeah. So. I kind of want that moment though, as long as he's alive. But yeah. yeah. Sorry, man. Um, hey, I want to ask you another question. Yeah, yeah. You, you want more to say on this? No, I just was, I had two other things I wanted to make sure we hit really quick. But go ahead. Keyleth and Vasselheim. That, yeah. What's going I, on? I don't know. I was wondering this myself. What are you uh, doing? She's there Keyleth? for, she was there for like a week. Maybe longer, but to our she knowledge, said she got delayed, which is like, you know, peak Gandalf terminology, you know, after he's been <laughs> battling to the death with the, uh, um, what's it called? Um, Balrog? Balrog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I was delayed. Okay. So what were you, were you fighting some like big epic baddie? Like, and we know Vasselheim so much lore context in this place grim verity isn't they aren't they in vasselheim they probably definitely are i don't know if that's where they like started or not but i'm sure like well we know that's where the documents are that reference these two deities right they were stolen yeah right oh right right so yeah i'm kind of wondering if something epic's been going down in vasselheim i mean it is like the capital of the world essentially like the oldest city um so yeah, I mean, Keyleth is one of the most powerful people in Exandria. She's also politically one of the most important. So maybe it's something we have no, like maybe it's something we don't even know about, just typical monarch duties, or maybe it's related to this solstice. I mean, we know at the very least she has Orem investigating this. She probably is at, at I'm sure she's not just completely ignorant to everything that's going on. So it could be related right. to the same things that the party's investigating. Um, which, you know, if it, if it does involve Ruidus and these gods, that would be the place to go figure it out, you know, cause that's where these documents were stolen from. This is the, the cradle of civilization essentially. Um, okay. but I mean, honestly, it could be, could be anything for all we know, but I, yeah, I had that same question. wonder what she's doing there. Wow. That's it for me. What else? Uh, yeah, two quick things. One, uh, just really quick on Ashton that I wanted to. Uh, mention that I forgot to when we were talking about Ashton. Um, I don't remember the exact time this happened in the episode. I think it was when they were discussing what to do with Laudna. Uh, it might have been when FCG was like, we could trade me for Laudna, like in regards to what Gianna wants. Um, right. Ashton made a pretty big um, like speech of like, no, we leave no one behind. And yeah, he was very, very Captain America. We don't trade lives. Yeah. Which line. resonated kind of strongly from him knowing what we know happened to him how the nobodies all left him behind and it's not something he ever talks about but i just thought it was pretty telling that like he feels that adamant about like no 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 nobody gets left behind i love that detail that's great yeah i really like that's what i'm talking about he's a softy man that's what i like his character it's you know yeah both sides of the same coin (laughs) for sure and then the the only other thing uh, one, I just wanted to point out this cool that FCG or Sam and Matt made this shared dream spell. I'm excited to learn more about that. Um, but the only other thing was, uh, 
Chetney and Ruidus, uh, during the episode, they kind of confirmed, they were like, hey, Katha, the moon Katha is the one that transforms you, right? And everyone was like, yeah, like that's the one. Which one that was, that makes sense, obviously. But I also feel like Ruidus is definitely doing something to him as well. And that was kind of like washed over in that moment. Like, oh yeah, Katha's the one. But we had this moment two episodes ago with his vision when they were like all on the battlefield with Odahan where he like I don't remember it word for word but there's like this sinister implication with him and Rudis and then we have this episode with the inadvertent howl and like right so I don't know I it just I, there's yeah I don't really have much to say but there's definitely something there and also like story-wise like the blood moon so to speak i mean there's definitely there's definitely something there for sure um which is i think a great callback though to Orum being like everyone's like on the brink of and i actually saw a great uh reddit post that was like i don't remember the context of it but the person was basically like almost like are we the baddies kind of thing like imogen is like a time bomb of like psychic energy um ftg is literally a murder robot um, Chetney is on the brink also like all these little, like nice little details that Orm called out. Like we have to get this together. Yeah. Um, it definitely feels like we're heading to a massive Chetney moment for sure. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't really have much to say, but I just thought it was interesting that like it was specifically brought up. Hey, which moon is it that like affects you? And it was like Katha, but like, I don't know. It just surprised me that like no one brought up. But wait, like, didn't you say we got to watch out for you on the the Ruidus Zenith and stuff? So I just thought it was interesting that, like, I don't know if maybe even Chetney knows, like, how much it affects him. Or maybe he does and he's just hiding that because he knows. I don't know. It's just something something to think about. All right. Well, a great episode discussion. Let us know in the comments what you thought about the episode and some of your crazy theories and ideas. Um, You got anything else you want to add? No, that'll do it for me. That'll do. That'll do, Donkey. Uh, so, thumbnail. Uh, I don't know. And then you got a lot of money, so we could do like a, um, you know, some kind of like Donald Duck, like or Scrooge McDuck, like we're rich <laughs> reaction or something. Okay. I don't know what that would be, but. <laughs> uh, me neither, uh, but I like it. I could do here. I got. It's better if you don't ask, but I could do like an in frame, like. Oh know, yeah, yeah. Opening, and you could be reacting to. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, is yeah. this in frame? Yeah. Okay. I'll be like a. I think we got it. <laughs> don't ask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, everybody's got a bag, a chest full of gold nearby. Yeah. <laughs> Platinum, though. I will say, last detail I'll say is the fact that they have 20,000 gold. I'm like, can we get Dorian back? And then the second thing, uh, which they're in Taldore, uh, the second thing I think about is my own campaign where they're like level six. And I know a couple of them watch Critical Role and they have like maybe 800 gold total. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're getting close levels. I'm just wondering if they're going to be like, dude, like, where's Why are you being gold? so stingy? Yeah. Uh, so, anyway. <laughs> Well, guys, thanks for tuning into our episode. We will, in a few days, have an update on the giveaway with our winner. And again, if you want to enter into that, it's not too late. You can just check out our video um, 
the videos in our channel, it's the 1000 sub giveaway video. So, yep. Just make sure you comment on that video. Yep. And that you are a subscriber also. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, we'll catch you later. All right, y'all. Enjoy the off week. Goodbye.